Unleavened Bread Ministries presents from your hands, your feet, your side. Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels. Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you, Father, for enlightening us concerning the days to come and concerning what's happening now as um, uh, deceptions from demonic activity. Uh, we thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to call this New Age and Alien Deceptions number two. And I'm going to start with the revelation uh, given to Philippe Besnard, or excerpts from it. Um, I've known um, Philippe for some years, uh, but when I first met him, he uh, was coming out of 30 years of the New Age movement. And as such, he knew a lot about it. Um, he called this spiritual warfare revelation of a New Age deception. And he also said North America was the birthplace of the modern New Age movement. Amen. The North American continent is the birthplace of the modern New Age movement, and when I immigrated to Canada from France, I felt in awe of what I saw as the vibrant, quote, new spirituality, unquote, of this wild land. In comparison, I thought France and old Europe were still living in the Middle Ages. France is uh, now catching up with the New Age, but for many years, has been very slow to emerge. And as part of my new identity, adapting to a new culture and learning English, I became a true product of the new age. I was eager to embrace the lifestyle and social and spiritual trends of my adoptive country. For 30 years, I had earnestly followed new age teaching traveled to workshops, conferences, seminars, training sessions, and festivals, met many of its teachers, and was personally taught by some of them. I had uh, received countless readings from channelers, psychics, astrologers, palm readers, and tarot card readers. I received spiritual healings from healers of all faiths and denominations, and even so-called DNA activation, from a spiritual scientist. But the Bible says in Leviticus 19 and 31, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Amen. I had embraced the mystic path, and the contemplative uh, lifestyle 
I practiced yoga and meditation for many years, sat in darshan to uh, receive the blessings of gurus, and uh, participated in sats, saying, um, chanting the names of Hindu deities and Buddhist mantras. I facilitated devotional evenings with my guitar, uh, chanting Sanskrit mantras, the uh, music of which I had composed. I traveled to India twice and other countries in the Far East seeking, quote, truth and wisdom, enlightenment and good karma, unquote. I have been in the company of and received teachings from a number of swamis, gurus, yogis, lamas, and so-called enlightened Western spiritual teachers. As a nature lover, I had worshipped nature, called the earth Gaia, followed and believed in various native teachings and shamanism. My uh, space at home was cluttered with New Age paraphernalia on the walls, tables, and corners. In the garden, I I had crystals, posters, images, and statues of Buddha and Hindu deities. The New Age is a melting pot made of practically every religious and occult philosophy found in the world. It is a strange convergence of mysticism, holism, pantheism, uh, aboriginal animism, uh, humanism, luciferian western occultism, and freemasonry, theosophy, rosicrucianism, modern uh, masonic witchcraft called wicca the illuminati apostate christianity uh, gnosticism islam taoism buddhism zen sufism and hinduism wow (laughs) the new age is a broad movement characterized by alternative approaches to traditional western culture with an interest in Druidism, Shamanism, Neo-Paganism, Voodoo, exploration of human sexuality, uh, environmentalism, modern-day occultism, worship of Mother Earth, psychic healing, and extraterrestrial phenomena. Oh, yes, those aliens. Ah. <laughs> uh, Most of the ancient origin of the New Age is to be found in classical Hinduism, Buddhism, and pagan Babylonian religions. So despite the name New Age, we are dealing with here a very ancient system. Paganism is a people or a community observing polytheistic religion, which is the worship of many gods as opposed to monotheism, the worship of one almighty God, the creator of all that is. A pagan is also called an irreligious heathen, Gentile, or hedonistic person. The Great New Age Plan is dedicated to the unification of all races, religions, and creeds. This plan is claiming to establish a new order of things. 
It is to make all things new, a new nation, a new race, a new civilization, and a new non-sectarian one-world religion that has already been recognized by the United Nations. This New Age globalism movement advocates a one-world government, a one-world religion. And let me add that uh, we've never been any closer to it than right now, even with the new beast that's conquering the old beast. We've never been closer. And a one-world economy, and this would mean the destruction of the sovereignty of nations and religions. Yep, there They don't want separate nations. They want one nation, right? Uh, Just a division of continental divisions, right? New Age teachers are using standard texts of Eastern religions, such as the Hindu Bhagavad Gita and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, as well as writings of Jewish mysticism called Kabbalah, and those Gnostic scriptures, uh, often called the Apocrypha. Over the years, I became more and more confused in studying such new revelations as the Urantia, a book, the Keys of Enoch, (laughs) uh, Academy for Future Science, okay, a course in miracles, Elizabeth Clare Prophet, of the Church Un universal and triumphant, okay? Uh, yeah, and so here's a note I would like to share with you in the midst of all this. Uh, General Flynn, in September of 2021, offered a prayer at a large church gathering of Trump-worshipping patriotic Christians that originate, originated from Elizabeth Clare Prophet invoking the sevenfold rays and the archangels. Rick Wiles has denounced Michael Flynn because he delivered a New Age prayer, almost word for word, by Elizabeth Clare Prophet, a New Age theosophist and Christian science advocate, a pastor at, at Pastor Hank Kuhneman's Christian conference. Can you believe it? Uh, last week, had everyone in the congregation repeat the invocation after him. Uh, Okay. Well, Rick said, my advice to you is to um, separate from General Michael Flynn. In this prayer, Michael Flynn uh, invokes the sevenfold rays and the archangels. uh, in, In your name and the name of your legions, to help guide humanity, uh, ascended masters, by the way, uh, and protect us against the enemy and further the purpose of their agenda. Who, who is God? And to whom is he praying? The sevenfold rays and the archangels is based in New Age theosophy developed by Helena Blavatsky. By the way, you cannot achieve the rank of a military general without being initiated. The white dragons who support the alliance behind the scenes believe that the Abrahamic God is Satan. 
at 11 and 53 minutes. Uh, what's, what's behind General Flynn and the White Hats Alliance? Here is an informative link. Uh, I'll leave that here for you. So we're going back to Felipe's text here. I also studied Rudolf Steiner, uh, Anthroposophy, uh, let me see, Anthroposophy, okay, sorry, uh, Edgar Cayce, Law of One, Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, Heindel Max, the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception Mystic Christianity, uh, the Gnostic Gospels, so he was very well read. I don't know how you could ever make it through all that. <laughs> uh, there is a, a lack of uniformity in the doctrines of the New Age. The beliefs of New Agers vary from group to group and person to person. Thus, it is difficult to have a clear definition and solid understanding of what the New Age really is. I believe this confusion has been created on purpose. It is very hard to pinpoint, identify, and shoot the enemy when it's a moving, it's a moving target constantly, shape-shifting or invisible. Well, let me point out to you that um, the old Catholic Church was just that, a hodgepodge of all kinds of religions come together deciding that they didn't need their doctrines, they only needed to be have unity for strength. And Constantine was behind that because all of these different religions were tearing the world apart, and they, he knew it, so he did what the beast is doing today. History always repeats, right? Okay, back to Felipe. People entering these movements are generally concerned with having an experience and not necessarily with finding the truth, that's for sure. Their actions are determined by feelings, not intellect. The emphasis is on practicing and becoming God. And this is why meditation and many other techniques that teach stillness of the mind and a receptive feeling mode are promoted. We are told to follow our bliss. Go with the flow. In other words, let everyone go and do after his own mind right? Let loose to transcend the limitation of the mind. In other words, let's get rid of the conscience, okay? And to experience the pleasure and the ecstasy of the body. Well, you can imagine where that takes them. Uh, using your mind to discriminate and discern has been a taboo. Oh, we don't want to do that, right? Well, guess what's going to happen to lawlessness? It's going to explode under this religion. Uh, no conscience, right? The principle of uh, spiritual vibration is the belief that all things vibrate at some frequency. The ultimate goal of all New Age practices is for humanity to vibrate at the same frequency so that we can all become one spiritually and mentally. And I believe they're working on that even with this vaccine. Mm -hmm. We are all one, they say. This most repeated New Age catchphrase wants us to believe the unity of all things, heaven 
and earth, spirit and matter, the invisible and the visible worlds, the great melting pot of darkness, light, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Where we go one, we go all. Mm. So this all is one. All is good. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't judge. And be in the moment is a disastrous recipe that generates apathy and complacency. It is creating a generational uh, of self-seeking, egotistical people who are indifferent to iniquity and the sufferings of others. Hmm. I have been a dedicated student of this school of thought, and I have practiced being fully in my body, opening all the inner channels and feeling the subtle currents. I was proud of feeling and being, but I was a total fool. I had lost common sense and the ability to discern and discriminate good from evil. I didn't want to judge anything or anybody for the fear of being unloving and spiritually not evolved. What a perfect brainwashing and a diabolical device to enslave, control people, and turn them into powerless puppets. I was losing my God-given right to discriminate, and I didn't realize that judging is necessary for preserving the integrity of my soul. I used to confuse judging with uh, condemning, and I know this confusion had been fostered on purpose. Then I discovered I can judge a situation or someone without condemning and feeling a love and compassion toward all the parties involved. This was a very liberating and empowering realization. Of course, our human judgment is flawed and imperfect, but as we draw close to God, we learn true divine justice and, I might add, discernment, right? Okay, second part here of his revelation. Is darkness real, and is it a sovereign force? The beginning of the story starts with a question I have been asking myself over the years. And what about God? I often wondered how God is seeing me, seeing us, seeing the world. I often cry out to him, asking, why, God? Why is there so much pain and suffering everywhere on this beautiful planet? Why is there so much injustice, poverty, and violence? Do you have a feeling, as I and many others do, that something ominous is about to happen and that we are only seeing the beginning of a momentous transformation? It seems with each day the world is spiraling down into greater chaos, deception, and destruction. I know a lot of us choose to look at the positive and ignore the increasingly rapid deterioration of our civilization, but refusing to see that anything serious is happening uh, denies that we as a human race are in deep trouble uh, is not going to change it, resolve it, or make it go away. No, in fact, denying 
is not seeing, and if we don't see, we are blind and hopeless to change anything. Amen. Because of my willingness to honestly acknowledge and recognize the darkness pervading our world, I have been more rapidly able to recognize this darkness is also within myself. And I realized I can only change something in the world or within myself when I am fully aware of what is truly happening. I have heard many times people say, The dark only exists when you believe in it. If you believe in the devil, in darkness, you are giving it power. But if you focus on the light, the dark has no place to be. I tried that belief on, wearing it for some time, but darkness was still there, here. Excuse me. Uh, this belief crippled my ability to discriminate evil from good. Is not believing in darkness preventing darkness from manifesting? Is the world such a paradise that there is no darkness to be seen anywhere? How can anyone believe this? The dark, of course, wants you to believe it is not there. But even the most remote, paradisical Pacific island has murder, theft, violence, greed, etc. In my 20s, I lived on Barakai, a remote Philippine paradise island, for five months. I was living in a bamboo hut on the beach with no electricity, no running water, or any modern amenities. Life was so gentle and simple. I felt surely I had found the Garden of Eden. And one morning I heard that a man had been murdered the previous night. There had been some drinking and a knife fight broke out. I was deeply shaken to the core, as was most of the tiny population of the island. My innocent naivety that the world is a safe place was completely shattered. Uh, in that one moment, I became aware of the pervading presence of the dark. The light is such a broad, impersonal concept when it is not mentioned as an attribute of God. In fact, many of us embrace the concept of the light standing all by itself as a sovereign, impersonal, beneficial force that is replacing the name of God. Few people know the dark is quite capable and is a master at parading and appearing as the light. 2 Corinthians 11 and 13 For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, fashioning themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for even Satan fashioneth himself into an angel of light. It's no great thing, therefore, if his ministers also fashion themselves as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Okay. There is the assumption prevalent in New Age circles that the light needs the presence of the dark to exist. 
We are told that within the fabric of the universe there is built in an eternal polarity that makes the light of God not being able to exist without the darkness of Lucifer. This is a clever but absurd concept invented, of course, by the dark to deceive people into accepting Lucifer as a legitimate, purposeful, and even beneficial force. The great paradox is this, that Lucifer is indeed purposeful, not as an independent sovereign entity, but as a force that God uses for his own plan. Amen. The dark was created and is allowed to exist by God for his sovereign purpose and actually needs God's approval and permission to continue to exist. Yeah, such like the book of Job shows very clearly. On the other hand, God obviously exists outside of this fallen, polarized world and has no need whatever of anything or anybody outside of himself. There is no darkness in the kingdom of God, not even anything that remotely resembles darkness. 1 John 1 and 5 says this, And this is the message which we have received from him, and announce unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. All right. If there is no darkness in the kingdom of God, then surely this planet, which has been corrupted with darkness since the beginning of time, is not the kingdom of God. Jesus confirmed that fact by saying, My kingdom is not of this world. John 18 and 36. Of course, this doesn't mean God is not present or is removed from his creation, but I wonder why God allows darkness to be here. Please be patient with me as I attempt to offer my understanding based on the fruit of my life experiences and the teachings found in the Bible. Okay, the New Age Movement. For over 30 years, I had been searching for God and the truth while being completely lost in the great deception of the New Age. I was immersed in New Age thinking, was an intimate part of its movement, and worked to promote its philosophy and belief system. I was brainwashed to blindly accept and embrace New Age occult knowledge, and I was convinced my life of service and my spiritual studies were the highest expression of my love for God. I was sincere, as most New Agers are, but I was also completely deceived and clueless. My study and knowledge of esoteric and ancient mysteries gave me a sense of belonging to the highest evolved portion of humanity. Although I have always managed to retain some humility in my being, uh, through a natural devotion to the Lord, I still had a typical New Age persona, a spiritual vanity, uh, that vague illusion of having achieved a higher consciousness. So they can really look down their nose at you pretty bad. I, that's been my experience with them if you uh, espouse true Christianity. Okay, going on. This was constantly reinforced by countless readings, 
which I had received over the years from psychics, clairvoyants, mediums, and channelers. I was repeatedly told how great, spiritual, and amazing I was, and how I'd come here on earth from the higher angelic realms to save lost mankind. I was a walking earth angel with a mission. <clears throat> of course, I knew everybody else was more or less told the same story, so I took all of it with a grain of salt, as I was aware of the deception of ego flattering, and I was uh, hoping somehow I was special in the eyes of God. Little by little, over the last few years, I came to realize, through the grace of God's revelation, that many distorted truths and the outright evilness of the New Age teachings. But because of my passionate nature, I had delved into this New Age pool deeply and had many close encounters with renowned teachers and spiritual centers across North America. This first-hand practical knowledge and in-depth study has given me a unique perspective to share with you, the discovery of a very shocking and disturbing truth. The dark new age of Aquarius is here, right now, and those leading the way forward in this new age are working hand-in-glove with the great and the powerful. Some of the most wealthy and influential men and women on our planet are openly identifying themselves with the New Age. From bankers, industrialists, politicians, celebrities, and religious leaders of all faiths. It seemed everyone is going New Age, and they are bringing huge numbers of the population along with them. Yep. Darkness is a very powerful force at work over this world. It is a corporate entity made up of many individuals and is described in the Bible as the beast. It is also the embodiment of one being who has been known by various names, including Thoth or Seth in Egypt, Manu in India, Hermes in Greece, and Lucifer, the devil or Satan in the Judeo-Christian tradition. God is executing end-time Bible prophecy right this very day, and he is allowing Lucifer to create the final end-time new world order of the beast empire. And one of the instruments for all of this to come to pass is the New Age movement, also called the Plan. And what Freemasonry calls the great work of ages. Well, you know that the QAnon uh, movement has always said, trust the plan. And of course, many of their front men are New Age people, very clearly, um, whose plan they are, are they referring to? Well, uh, obviously, it's not God's plan. Anybody can read the Bible one time. A child can read the New Testament one time, find out it's not God's plan. But it's the New Age plan. So, continuing. This is Lucifer's uh, rebellion and master plan in action against God. 
The New Age movement has become a powerful political, philosophical, and economic force in our contemporary culture and is exerting its influence into every facet of modern life. Well, as you know, I've often said one beast is being conquered by the other. It's been throughout history that way. You can't say this is something new and it's heavenly. You can't say that. Um, and we're grateful for this latest movement uh, because it's conquering Babylon, which is the most sinister and evil beast of them all. The day will come when all of this camaraderie will melt away because they're looking down their snoots at us. <laughs> okay, back to back to uh, Philippe. Its ultimate goal and plan is to introduce a one-world order and a one-world religion. The UN is gradually becoming the center of this new world religion, and the House of Peace with its programs and policies, is even more worthy of comparison to what some have called a modern-day Tower of Babel. Yes, this is what they're doing. They're rebuilding the Tower of Babel. And Babel means confusion. And they are very confused. You can't look at that many different religions and study them without becoming very confused. But the Tower of Babel was broken up uh, because God wanted to separate the confusion. But they like to put it together. <laughs> so back to Philippe. All of my research and personal experience during these years has led me to believe that Lucifer is very real and he is rising or descending, depending upon which way we look at it. He is here on earth in this dimension, causing havoc and chaos in an attempt to seat himself on the throne of a world state and to inaugurate a new religion with himself as his sole deity. And he gives Daniel eleven thirty six, And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that which is determined shall be done. And my thought is Isaiah 14 and 13. And thou saidest in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the uttermost parts of the north. And we know there is a false belief among many today that Lucifer and Satan are the same. But this is propagated by the New Agers. Uh, Lucifer and Satan are actually two different aspects of the same creature. Lucifer, meaning the brilliant one, son of the morning in Hebrew, was an angel beloved by God until his fall. And after his rebellion, he became Satan. While there is a significant difference between the two, the terms today have unfortunately become synonymous with each other and, and with the devil. Satan has been busy working through his false prophets and religious harlots to pollute true Christianity and also offer a fake moralizing replacement 
for it uh, to the world so that no one has to repent of sin and no one has a conscience. Hmm. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you about um, <clears throat> false prophet and religious harlot. Um, experience and the Word have taught me concerning prophecy that if the majority of God's people believe something, it has to be wrong. God hides His truths in dreams or visions that are parables so that the false prophets and the carnal Christians cannot understand them, as in Matthew thirteen ten through 13 But privately, He explains them to His disciples. He hides truths from the wise and understanding of this apostate religious system and repeats them, uh, or excuse me, reveals them to babes, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. He reveals his hidden truths to those who are faithful. Revelation 2 and 17, to him that overcometh, to him will I give of the hidden manna. Mm-hmm. Manna, of course, is what they needed in the wilderness to have life, right? John's revelation was given to him as a parable from Jesus. If it was literal, the false prophets would know what's going to happen, and that's contrary to Jesus' own words. When the disciples were young and under the law, they did not recognize the false prophets that ruled them. As a matter of fact, they respected them. And so it is today. And I want to share with those of you who have eyes and ears who the false prophet is and what is his work. The false prophet is a corporate body of religious leaders that to the trained eye resemble those of Jesus' day. <laughs> Since Jesus' day is a type of the coming man-child reformer in our day, we know that there are going to be false prophets, plural. False prophets, plural. In all of the New Testament writings outside of the book of the Revelation, which we know is a parable, we are warned that false prophets, plural, would come. In Revelation, false prophet, singular, is used, but it's an allegory or a parable to hide the corporate body, just like a lot of other corporate bodies in the book of Revelation, right? Like the woman, the bride, uh, the beast, etc., you know? These are all corporate bodies. Since Jesus, Peter, and John said that in the end time many false prophets shall arise, then the false prophet in Revelation is a symbol of a corporate body, like the rest of the characters there, like the woman, the harlot, the beast, etc., are corporate bodies. It's the only way that all of the verses concerning false prophets can be right, and they all have to be right, or it's not the Bible. Matthew 7 and 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. This is what the, the New Age is all about. Matthew 24, and I'm going to read 11 and 24. And many false 
prophets, plural, shall arise and should, shall lead many astray. And 24, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So you see, they are plural. They are a corporate body. And that's what Revelation is pointing out, a worldwide happening Revelation is. People are looking, oh, this happens over there, this happens over there. No, all of this is happening all over the world. Well, they come to you with moralizing like the New Age, but they can't live it at all because they don't know the gospel that saves from sin, and nothing is sin to them. They have no conscience. They are false because Jesus said to him that overcometh will I give authority, meaning overcome sin, and, and not just any sin, but sin as God uh, identifies sin, not as man identifies sin, right? Uh, false, back to our revelation here, false prophets fit the type and shadow of history according to Jesus. Luke 6 and 26 says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for in the same manner did their fathers to the false prophets. Peter also said there would be false prophets among us. Second Peter 2 and 1, But there arose false prophets also among the people, as among you also there shall be false teachers. John also said that many false prophets would speak for Antichrist. 1 John 4 and 1, let's see, through 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit. He's talking about the spirits in people. All right. Believe not every spirit, but prove the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And every spirit that confesseth not Jesus is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, notice that every spirit in this text is the Antichrist. He also is a corporate body. Okay. He has a head, and it does, it's not necessarily an individual head. And I'll, I'll, in hidden manner, I'll point that out to you very clearly. Okay. Um, the New Age is one of these false prophets that confesses not Jesus as the only begotten Son of God and leader of His church. Part of the strong delusion uh, taught by the false prophets is that we are to be looking for the coming of a man called the false prophet. <laughs> because the letter is what causes them all to stumble. Uh, while the biblical corporate false prophet is here in the pulpits already. And, of course, he's hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but revealed it unto babes. Second Corinthians 11 and 14. And no marvel, for even Satan fashions himself into an angel of light. You're seeing it in the New Age. And it is no great thing, therefore, if his ministers also fashion themselves as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works, 
Now, since they don't have a conscience, you know what their works are, and they keep that hidden because they don't want to appear to be a sinner. You might say, David, aren't you sharing God's secrets with the false prophets? <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. They're too proud and blind to admit that they have passed on the traditions of men. Uh, most agree that the second beast in Revelation 13 is the false prophet. He's given authority by the first beast uh, for the second stage of the last three and a half years of the tribulation, Revelation 13 and 5. And he is identified as a beast because he is a corporate body, uh, as is every other prophetic beast in the Scripture. And, and what did uh, uh, Ecclesiastes say about the beast? Every man is as a beast. Whoa, they are? Yes, a beast. Revelation 13, 11. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like unto a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Hmm. So faking out being a lamb while they're actually part of the dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his sight, and he maketh the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose death stroke was healed. Now, uh, I'm I'm grateful for this uh, new beast that's coming to take down the old beast because it really had done a lot of damage. But let me tell you, it's still just the new beast. And uh, they, they have this false prophet that's pointing the way to this new beast. Okay. Ultimately, this is not going to, well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say it, it's not going to end good. Well, it's not going to end good for the beast and the people who worship it, but it's going to end good for God's people, even if they go to the cross, okay? Um, and make no mistake about it, the New Age people are going to turn on the Christians as soon as they get their way and as soon as they have deceived enough people, they're going to turn. The beast that is coming into authority now is pointed to by the new age. It is a one world order with a covenant. Okay? And here we see, and in case you don't know it, this covenant has to come to pass. God prophesied it. He said it would come to pass. You can't stop it. It will come to pass. Okay? So what you must do is react to it in the way the Bible tells you to react to it. Well, here we see that the false prophet masquerades as a lamb. Two horns like unto a lamb. But he speaks as the world and Satan. And he spake as a dragon, which is one of the beasts, the first of the two beasts. And this second beast in chapter 13 is also identified after after. Uh, after the world beast in Revelation 16 and 13, as the false prophet. So this imposter leadership for the harlot has a form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3, 5, but is carnal and can only teach a worldly corruption of the word, which they do pick out little bits and pieces. They just don't believe the whole thing. They are actually a mouthpiece for the world beast in the apostate church. 
And it was said of the world beast in Revelation 13 and 5, And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Yes, they do speak blasphemies. And these apostates speak against. And the Greek word there is blasphemio. They speak against God with their hypnotizing, ear-tickling doctrines of all fly away in some cases, unconditional eternal security in some cases, and worldly prosperity, greasy grace, and anything but the self-crucifying truth, and also this unity doctrine that they have. Everybody's God is God. Yeah. So you see the, the false prophet is very broad, but one of the main ones is this new age that is pushing this new beast and pointing everybody to this new beast. Okay. And, of course, thousand years of peace that will be interrupted by the book of Revelation uh, and the tribulation that they don't believe in. Okay. So, uh, quickly... They're going to have to do something with their doctrine, right? The false prophet is a corporate body within the corporate body of the harlot. You know, the, the false leadership is part of the harlot, right? Which is female because they receive the seed of Antichrist. And in verse 15, we see the female body of the false prophet. And it was given to her, it says in the original Greek, to give spirit, that's the Greek word, to the image of the beast. Hmm. Well, Bible numerics shows a perfect pattern for her and spirit in the original Greek. And in the most accurate New Testament, the numeric English New Testament by Ivan Panin. There is no pattern in it for he or it in this text. I'll read it to you again. And it was given to her to give spirit to the image of the beast. Mm -hmm. In Greek, uh, breath and spirit are the same. Numeric shows beyond a shadow of a doubt which words are correct here. And in the rest of the text, this false prophet is identified as male by the same numeric pattern. And why is that? Because they sow the seed in the woman church, apostate church, which is the harlot. They sow the seed. So you can see there is a way in which they are both. That kind of fits with the world too, doesn't it? Uh, a translator would have had to respect the word enough to ignore his own reasoning to simply translate what was there. And most are not willing to go out on a limb and look foolish when they do not see the reason. A male, who is also seen as female, is clear proof that God is not speaking of an individual here, but a corporate body of people. In parallel... We are the male body of Christ, made up in his image, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, but we are female in another type, Ephesians 5, through 25, being married and submitted to him to receive only his seed, which is his word. You see and understand that? Mm -hmm. 
So let's see this corporate false prophet in his relationship to the harlot in another parable. We know Ahab represents the ten-horned beast who was being ridden by Jezebel, 1 Kings 18. The ten horns being those uh, seven seven, um, uh, northern um, individuals uh, whose families made up Israel. Okay, exactly as the harlot rode the beast in Revelation 17 and 13, Ahab was riding that beast. They ruled over the apostate ten tribes who were also those who worshipped the image of the beast, the golden calf, as the corporate mother of the harlot sects of Christianity, she leads them into the great tribulation and death unless they repent. Revelation 2 and 20. Jezebel there teacheth and seduceth my servants to commit fornication, that is, with the world beast, by receiving their seed instead of the seed of God, which was the word of God. Okay. Verse 21, And I gave her time that she should repent, and she willeth not to repent of her fornication. Behold, I cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of her works. How do they get there? They lost their conscience. Yeah. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he that searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto each one of you according to your works. Hmm. Well, like the harlot, Jezebel was guilty of the blood of the prophets and of the saints. First uh, Kings eighteen four, Second Kings nine and seven, Revelation eighteen and twenty four, and in Revelation seventeen and sixteen, when the beast is through using the harlot, he devours her. And so it was with Jezebel, who was devoured by the dogs, 1 Kings 21, 23, symbolizing the unbelievers, Mark 7 and 27, or the beast. The beast is all lost mankind. The, and, and truly, it has a head, but it is a beast, and it, the body of that beast is all lost mankind. The true ministers of God are fed at the church's table. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 through 14. And the false prophets are fed from the harlot's table. 1 Kings 18 and 19. The prophets of Baal, 450. And the prophets of the Asherah, 400, that eat at Jezebel's table. The two categories of false prophets represent the two horns of the false prophet in Revelation 13, 11. So find out who Baal and Asherah represent in modern times, and you will know who the corporate false prophet is. These two have their roots at the Tower of Babel and were originally Nimrod and his wife Semiramis in Genesis 10, 8 through 10. They created the original harlot religion that spawned all of the rest of them. They are a type of of the great corporate mother of harlots of all of history, Revelation 17 and 5, and upon her forehead a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of the harlots. Notice, the mother of the harlots. 
those those denominations that came out of her, <laughs> they are the harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. When Nimrod died and Samarimus, uh, later called Asherah, became pregnant, she claimed that Nimrod had become the sun god, later called Baal, who then, by virgin birth, was reborn as her son, Tammuz, uh, 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 a very evil type of the Son of God. So these original Babylonians worshipped their the false father, son, and virgin about 2,300 years before the true virgin birth. Samarimus probably knew of the prophecy in Genesis 3 and 15 concerning the virgin birth seed of the woman, and if she didn't, uh, the devil did. Okay, So with the confusion of languages and dis version of at Babel, this legend went throughout the world, and these three were given different names in different cultures, many of which are in the Bible. The golden calf in Egypt was a symbol of the father, Baal, uh, in the sun. And remember, Pharaoh's title meant great temple of the sun god. Sun images all over the world and in the Catholic and in the Eastern churches symbolize the false sun. And the Israelites with their golden calf thought that they were worshiping Yahweh or Elohim, uh, the true God. But it was Baal and another Jesus. So one horn, uh, the 450 prophets of Baal represent those who teach another Jesus. This is the apostate Protestant ministers. The other horn, the 400 prophets of Asherah, represent those who worship the virgin, uh, and these are the Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, and many others that are into Mariolatry. We know that Mary became saved and is our sister, and we love her, but she is not the mother of God, as Mariolatry teaches. Romans 1 and 3 says, Concerning his son, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. His flesh was of the seed of David. Notice. Jesus' flesh was the seed of David through Mary, which was the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3 and 15. Mary is the mother of Jesus' flesh, which is the Son of Man. That's what he called himself. Who was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus' spirit man was the Son of God. Jesus agreed with this saying in John 3 and 6. It says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay, so so much for Mary being the mother of God. That's ridiculous. She's the mother of the flesh of Jesus, right? Some would say that the two horns are the apostate leaders of the Christian religion and the leaders of false religions, to this I agree. Uh, the same verses usually address both greater and lesser types. 
The greater type is the most complete fulfillment, and all the Babylonish religions will be gathered together in the end-time harlot. Okay. Let me say the false prophets and the religious harlots spread uh, from the confusion at Babel throughout the world, and now the Unitarian New Age is seeking to bring Babel back together in a new Catholic, which means universal, religion uh, that doesn't rebuke their own sins, much less the sins of others. Okay. So, uh, well, I said a lot, and I hope you can take it to heart. I hope you will maybe even read the text again. I, I mean, I know there's a lot more than I put in the text usually when I speak these things. But to read the text again, you will and slow down and meditate on what I'm saying, and you'll see the wisdom that the Lord has given there. Well, God bless you and keep you. And uh, Father, we just ask that you bless everyone today that's under the sound of my voice, that you pour out your Spirit upon them and grant them wisdom in Jesus' name. And Lord, please uh, bless Michael and all the brethren that are joining him in study, and uh, we thank you so much for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Brother David. God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I ask for your anointing today to give out the word that you have asked to give out, and I thank you, Lord, that it's going to be a blessing for everybody, and uh, Lord, just uh, bless us to give it out in a way that would be uh, uh, beneficial to everyone who listens. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, I want to talk about the seed of Christ bears the fruit of Christ. Jesus, in the parable of the sower, pointed out to us four different types of people. And three of the four, when they heard the good news, fell away, even though they were the ones, at least the last three, these were the ones who were called. Let's go to Mark chapter 4 and verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they have heard, straightway comes Satan and takes away the word which hath been sown in them. And these in like manner are they that are sown upon the rocky places, who, when they have heard the word, straightway receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecutions arise because of the word, straightway they stumble. And others are they that are sown among the thorns. <clears throat> and these are they that have heard the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are they that were sown upon the good ground, such as hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And again, three of the four types, when they heard the good news, fell away. Only one bore the fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And these are the true kingdom people. So if you love simplicity, if you love the very simple lie that all you need to do is shake some preacher's hand and go sit on the pew, wait for the rapture, 
Well, you're one of those fools who hates knowledge. And if that's all you do, you're hating knowledge. You need to seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. You know, many reject the spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom. And if you don't seek out your own salvation, you're rejecting the spirit of God and the spirit of wisdom as it was given in the book of Acts. Then it goes on to say, I will make known my words unto you. 24, because I have called and ye have refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man hath regarded. But ye have set in naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh in the day of your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as a storm and your calamity comes on as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then will they call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Folks, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as it says in Proverbs 9 and 10. Verse 30, They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. You know, it's a lot simpler to let a preacher who's walking in the flesh tell you how easy it is to be in the kingdom and that you really don't have to lose your life, as Jesus said, in order to gain your life. You don't really have to do that. That's the hard way. Just accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Sit on a pew. Go ahead on and put your money in the bucket, and everything's going to be okay. Proverbs one thirty one says, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. My, my, they're the devices that are out there now. We have unconditional eternal security. Now, that's a deadly one. It teaches you that you don't have to do anything after receiving salvation. But you know, look what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. Those people who don't have good works are obviously not the people of God. And they're going to speak against the works, although the Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says that you're going to be judged according to your works. And it says it very clearly over and over and over again. Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 30, James 2. 14 through 26, and on and on and on. So how do we bear the fruit of good works? First of all, we got to put goodness in our heart because that's the wisdom of God, the Word of God that reprograms our mind to think, to walk, to talk, and to bear the fruit of Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32 says, For the backsliding... Now, that word backsliding means falling away. The backsliding of the simple shall slay them, and the careless ease of fools shall destroy them. 
But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell securely, and shall be quiet without fear of evil. Proverbs 2 and 1 says, My son, and I, this is wisdom talking, if thou wilt receive my words and lay up my commandments with thee, so as to incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thy heart to understanding, yea, if thou cry after discernment and lift up thy voice for understanding. The Bible promises that if you ask the Lord for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. And if you ask him for understanding, he's going to give that to you. So don't be double-minded, but ask him and seek him, as it says in James chapter 1. Ask him even to put it in your heart to desire it, and he'll do it. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 4 says, If thou seek her, if you seek wisdom, as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. Yeah, you have to have the fear of the Lord. Many people hear the scriptures but totally ignore what they've heard because they don't have the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God, it says. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He lays up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to them that walk in integrity, that he may guard the paths of justice and preserve the way of the saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and justice and equity, yea, every good path. For wisdom shall enter into thy heart and knowledge shall be pleasant unto thy soul. Discretion shall watch over thee. Understanding shall keep thee to deliver thee from the way of evil, from the men that speak perverse things. Whoso forsakes the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And that's what a lot of people do. They get saved and then they continue to walk in the same way They've always walked, not seeking out the knowledge and wisdom of God to know even what is the will of God. Verse 14, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, who are crooked in their ways and wayward in their paths to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the foreigner that flattereth with her words. The strange woman is the harlot of Revelation 17, but that harlot is the mother of harlots of the earth, Revelation 17 and 5. It's only the seed of Christ that bears the fruit of Christ. All of those sects that came out of the mother are also called harlots because every one of those denominations received their own seed, the seed that wasn't the seed of the husband. That makes them harlots. They received their own wisdom and their own knowledge. The knowledge of the gospel, folks, is being ignored. They've reduced it to nothing more than moralizing, and there ain't no hope for moralizing, I'm telling you. Those apostate preachers get up and give a scripture verse or two on Sunday morning, but the rest of the time it's all their knowledge and their wisdom. Folks, there ain't nothing more important than the word of God. The word going into your heart recreates Jesus Christ in you, he is the Word. It's the Word that does it. There ain't nothing else can do it. No moralizing can do it. You can go to some church and get moralized every Sunday and maybe 
even every Wednesday. And if you're really diligent to go after moralizing, but moralizing, folks, won't give you the knowledge of the gospel. Moralizing won't give you the knowledge of how you can receive freely that nature of Jesus Christ. It won't give you that confidence that this is your gift from God, that this is the reconciliation that he gave you at the cross. He took your life, nailed it on the cross, and gave you his life. And as Paul proclaimed in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that lives, but Christ living in me, and that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, now it's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16 says, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the foreigner that flatters with her words. Those apostate preachers are going to make it easy for you. They'll tell you, come over here. We believe in once saved, always saved. You ain't got to do nothing. Just believe. They will lead you in their crooked ways and in their wayward paths. Verse 17, that forsakes the friend of her youth. That's the one who saved you in the beginning, Jesus. The one you loved in the beginning, Jesus. And now they want to give you another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit. And forgets the covenant of her God. Some people don't even get to know that covenant before they're led astray from the Bible by the teachings of men. And as Jesus said to the Pharisees of his day in Mark chapter 7 and verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold fast the tradition of men. Full well do you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Verse 13, making void the word of God by your tradition which you have delivered and many such like things you do. Folks, there's no difference in the nature of man from the time Jesus said that till now. We have to repent and believe what he says and this is how we are reprogrammed to walk that straight walk. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 18 says, For her house inclines unto death, and her paths unto the dead. Well, that's true. Every one of those hardest houses inclines to death. Then verse 19, <clears throat> None that go unto her return again, neither do they attain unto the paths of life that thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land. And that's the land of God's people. That's the promised land. And each promise that we read in the word will become ours if we are bold to stand on it. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 24 says, Every place whereon the sole of your foot shall tread shall be yours. God's saying here, every place you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. God has given us this land that we walk in, which is this flesh that comes from the earth in order for us to conquer it. 
<coughs> those tribes that originally inhabited the land, the Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, and all, all Amorite born, all represent the lust of the old man that had to be conquered in order to take that land for the spiritual man, Jesus Christ, who is what? Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's growing in you like a little baby, and you have to feed him. Don't feed the flesh, feed him. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. While he, that's Jesus, was yet speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, seeking to speak to him. And one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, seeking to speak to thee. But he answered and said unto them that I told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? In verse 49, And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And those who do the will of the Father are those who are bringing forth the fruit of Jesus Christ in their life. Praise God. Now let's continue on on that narrow path, okay? Proverbs 2 and 21. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. There's a great falling away because there's a broad road to destruction, as Jesus said. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are they that enter in thereby, for narrow is the gate, <clears throat> and straightened the way that leads unto life, and few are they that find it. We don't know the narrow road unless we study the wisdom of God, and that's all through the Bible. Second John chapter 1 verse 9 says, Whosoever goes onward and abides not in the teaching of Christ hath not God. He that abides in the teaching, the same hath both the Father and the Son. Folks, it's not who starts out with you, it's who continues with you. There's a lot of folks who think they know the teaching, but they're getting it a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth hand. The only way you're going to know the teaching and the wisdom of God is to study the Word and seek out the wisdom of God for yourself. Don't go into a dead church and be leavened the rest of your life. We just read that people go there and they don't ever come out. They're wasting their life and they never come to know the wisdom of God. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 21. For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. And perfect is a word that also means mature, right? Those who came into the image of Christ are the mature ones. Verse 22. But the wicked shall be cut off from the land and the treacherous shall be rooted out of it. That's still talking about the same people. The wicked are the treacherous. Matthew 22 and 14. For many are called, but few chosen. You see, the wicked, they'll start out with you, but they don't finish with you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they all are not of us. The wicked are going to be cut off from the land 
and that's the land of promise. They're not going to know the promises. They'll not live by the promises. Paul exhorted God's people to not be sons of the handmaid, but be sons of the free woman. But because it's going to be proven that not everyone who is a son of Abraham is chosen. The word says many are called, but few are chosen. Galatians 4.22 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, <clears throat> one by the handmaid, one by the free woman. Howbeit the son by the handmaid is born after the flesh, but the son by the free woman is born through the promise. The promise is what begats you again unto Jesus Christ and everything that he is and all that he does and thinks. Glory to God. It's the promise that does that. And it's not being moralized. It's not joining a religion. Because the son of the free woman is born through the promises, born again in spirit, soul, and body. Abraham so badly wanted Ishmael to be chosen by God, and I too. We have wanted to be chosen, uh, people to be chosen by God. And we sown that seed into. And when the sons of the handmaid begin to fall away, we cry for them, but they are manifesting who they are. Galatians 4 24 says, Which things contain an allegory? For these women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children unto body, which is Hagar. If you're born of Hagar, then you're in bondage. Even while you're in religion, you can be in bondage, bondage just as the Israelites were. They were in so much bondage that when Jesus came to bring them to the higher order, they couldn't come out of bondage. 25. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. It was the Israelites who went to Mount Sinai. And so Paul is applying this to them because they were in bondage and they didn't even know it. <clears throat> and it goes on and says, and answer is to the Jerusalem that now is. That's the physical Jerusalem over there in the Middle East that's in bondage. For she is in bondage with her children. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, which is our mother. Praise God forevermore. We're being born from above, first spirit, then soul, and then body. The soul, of course, is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your soul has to walk after the spirit to receive the nature of that spirit in order for you to bear his fruit in your soul. Romans 8 and 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And when you were first saved, you received a born-again Spirit. But now you have to go on to bear fruit in your soul. Only if you bear the fruit, which is Christ-likeness, will you get that new body, the born-again body like his body. Now, those harlot's houses tell you to just step over the line, and that's all you need. And that's all you do to be born again in your spirit. Folks, that ain't enough because you haven't borne fruit yet. And how do you bear fruit? The way you bear fruit immediately is that you believe you have received, as the Word said. Jesus said in Mark 11, 24, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe ye received them, and you shall have them.
and you walk by faith for them until you see them. Everything that the Lord offers will be nothing to the person who doesn't reach out and receive the promises by faith. They will not come to pass, and Paul tells us why in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, The word of hearing did not profit them because it was not united by faith with them that heard. You see, they didn't mix faith with the words. Galatians 4.27 says, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For more are the children of the desolate than her of her that hath the husband. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of people that are called, but few are chosen. Verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, so also it is, is it now. <clears throat> we know that Ishmael, who represents the harlot, has persecuted Isaac, who is Israel. And we know that Ishmael was chosen to be the persecutor in Genesis 16 and 12. And although they were both born of the same father, one turned out to be a persecutor that had no relationship with God. And that's what happens whenever people fall under the law. They don't have the grace relationship with God. There's no difference between those Galatians and somebody who falls under any law of religion today. They had a wrong relationship with God. And if you've got a wrong relationship with God, you're going to fall away. Galatians 4 and 30 says, How be it? What saith the scripture? Cast out the handmaid and her son. For the son of the handmaid shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Wherefore, brethren, we are not children of a handmaid, but of the free woman. <clears throat> He's trying to convince them because the fact was that many of them were children of the handmaid since they had fallen back under the law, back under a false relationship with God. And he's trying to convince them of who they are supposed to be, of whom they can appropriate you. Galatians 5 and verse 1 says, For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Now, returning back to where we were in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 21, For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the land, and the treacherous shall be rooted out of it. It's obvious that the Ishmaelites are being cut off from the land, the land of promise, because they bought a lie in their religion, as a lot of other people have in their religion. The opportunities of reading God's word and appropriating everything that's being given unto us, folks, is tremendous. That's why. What being called means, it's an invitation to partake of all those promises of God. Proverbs 4 and 4 says, And he taught me and said unto me, Let thy heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. How are you going to continue to live? Well, you continue to live by studying and keeping his commandments, delighting in his commandments, and delighting in being pleasing unto him. Jesus said, he that loves me will keep my commandments in John 14, 21. You don't love him if you're keeping the commandments of men. 
men make it easy for the old man to live because they don't want to lose their old life. They don't like the crucified life that comes with loving the commandments of God. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Get wisdom, get understanding, forsake her not, and she will preserve thee. Love her, and she will keep thee. Folks, that's the truth. Wisdom will keep you from falling away. <clears throat> wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Yea, with all thy getting, get understanding. And then verse 20 says, My son, attend to my word. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. 21, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy hearts, for they are life. And some people think that eternal life is something that God put in their hand that he can't take it back. But John says, what does the word say? 1 John 5 and 11 says this, And the witness is this, that God gave unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath the life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not the life. You see, God didn't put anything in your hand. He gave eternal life to be in the Son and the body of the Son. And that's where we have eternal life is in the Son. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 22. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. You see, if you die too soon, you don't bear the fruits you could have borne if you had continued on. Many people don't even know that we're not under the curse. They don't know that Jesus is our Passover lamb. They don't know that the destroyer was meant to pass over us and take out the Egyptians. So many people are passing up the calling. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Life comes out of your heart and if you put the wisdom of God in there, just like in the parable of the sower, you will be reprogrammed. And folks, I want you to understand that you are in danger, and the only place you have safety is in Christ. If three out of every four people who hear the gospel will fall away from it, you're in danger. You need to keep on putting the wisdom of God in your life. It'll save and it will preserve you, just like the Bible says in Proverbs 4 and 6. Now let's look at the parable of the sower again. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He was speaking, of course, to the Jews that had the covenant first. And Jesus said in Matthew 15 to 24, I was not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But you have to remember Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. That which hath been is that which shall be, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. So here again, a man-child is coming to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Only now, as Paul said, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. 
Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Now, Israel is the ones who seek the born again experience. Not just in spirit, but in soul and ultimately in body. And these are the ones that have the covenant. These are the ones who are on the path, that narrow path unto eternal life. And if you start in faith, since faith is accounted as righteousness, even when you start on that path, as long as you stay on that path, you are assured of eternal life. Not because you have manifested it, but because you are walking by faith for it. And if you'll notice the disciples, they ask this, why do you speak to them in parables? Of course, they wanted their brethren, the Jews, to be saved. Of course, they wanted them to understand. Make it simple for them. Jesus, just like all the apostate preachers do, that's what they wanted. They wanted them all to come in. Here's what Matthew 13 and verse 11 says. And he, that's Jesus, answered and said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. Now, don't that sound like a reprobation at the beginning of the man-child Jesus ministry? And today there's a man-child ministry coming again, only this time to the church. And once again, we have that same situation. These people are not disciples. They cannot hear. They've been inoculated against the truth. The man-child speaks in parables, and they don't understand it. But he won't speak to them in any other way, it says in Psalm 78, Matthew 13. But the Bible says that he took his disciples aside privately and explained to them all things. A disciple is a learner and a follower, folks. Disciples are studying the master. They're studying the master to walk in his steps. First John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. It's not all of those so-called eminent preachers in their fancy suits, folks. It's Jesus that is our demonstration of true Christianity which is to walk as he walked exactly. We are to walk in his steps. He wants us to walk there with him. And it's to manifest his gifts, his works, everything. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost. That Greek word means to completely, forever, entirely. Them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. But although you see that it's a free gift from God, you have to receive by faith the promises of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. Matthew 13.12. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have abundance. Whosoever hath abundance of what? This is speaking of whosoever hath understanding, whosoever hath fruit of what they have received. You see, if we walk in the light, he puts more light in our pathway. And this is someone who has been given this fruit, who has been given this understanding. And that is who shall have abundance, folks. This is someone who's walking in the light. Therefore, they deserve more light. There's no use in putting out 
more light from somebody that's going to walk, uh, that's not going to walk in it. They will just be condemned that much more. So God gives you a little light. If you walk in that, he gives you a little more light and on and on and on. Proverbs 4 and 18, the path of righteousness is as the dawning light. That light shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Psalms 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. He gives you a lamp for your feet to show you where you stand. Because if you know where you are, he can show you where you are to go. We need to know that. Some people are in total denial about where they stand. These people believe that they've already arrived at perfection by some magic words that they've spoken or something that they did. Matthew 13 and 12 says, But whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that which he hath. Jesus gave the parable of the talents about that exact situation. Two of the three servants multiplied the talents their Lord entrusted them, but the third servant did nothing with what he was given. And the Lord was angry with him. It said in Luke 19.22, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I am an austere man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping that which I did not sow. Then wherefore gavest thou not my money unto the bank? And I at my coming should have required it with interest. And he said unto them that stood by, Take away from him the pound, and give it unto him that hath the ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. I say unto you, that unto every one that hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But when they when they protested, but he has ten, it was because they didn't understand God. Folks were called to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to walk in his steps. But far too many people are like that third servant. And they wouldn't touch discipleship with a 10-foot pole. They've never even been taught that they needed or even had an opportunity to become a disciple. And so because they bear no fruit and they haven't sought wisdom, even though God had borne with them up to that point, finally he reprobates them. Or in other words, even that which he has shall be taken away from him. Matthew 13, 13 says this, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. They've got physical eyes to see, but they don't have spiritual eyes to see. How do you get spiritual eyes to see? Well, you have to, go, you have to know the one who wrote the book. That's how you get spiritual eyes to see, and that's how you get spiritual ears to hear because you'll hear only his voice, as Jesus said. John, John chapter 10, verse 27 said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And it's too sad that many people like to leave out that last part. They follow me. Matthew 13 and 14, And unto them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by hearing ye shall hear, and shall in no wise understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall in no wise perceive. Now we know what understanding is, and what perceiving is. 
For this people's heart is waxed gross. He's talking about his people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And even today, there is the lost sheep of the house of the church because they've lost the path. They don't know the way and they don't know that the end of that way is Christ in you, the hope of glory. They don't even know that the procession that leads up to that point is Christ increasingly growing in you like a baby in the womb. Matthew 12 and 48 says, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew thirteen fifteen, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest happily they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. Folks, they're afraid to know the truth. It would make them responsible to know the truth. It's, it's a whole lot easier to just accept Jesus as your personal Savior, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying that can't be a, a beginning if there was a true penance involved. But otherwise, all you're doing is filling a church pew and your self-deception will be revealed down the road a bit. Matthew 13 and 15 said, For this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest happily they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should turn again, and I should heal them. Folks, God really wants to heal us. He wants to heal us spiritually, physically, and every other way. These are the benefits of the kingdom, and it's only for the called, the invited. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9 says, Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before times eternal. So when you get saved, you get invited. When you get saved in your spirit, you get a new spirit from God. And according to what the scripture says, you receive a born-again spirit. And now you are invited to partake of the benefits of the kingdom. Because now you are a kingdom person. The world doesn't have this calling. This calling is not, hey, come to Jesus. No, it's who saved them and called them. You get saved, then you get this invitation to partake of the kingdom. In Israel, the Israelite had the benefits of the kingdom. The pagans didn't. Matthew thirteen sixteen says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. And your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see the things which you see. That's why it's called the good news, folks. The Jews had to struggle to find out every jot and diddle of the law and keep them or else they slay, had to slay a lamb. Our lamb was slain. And the good news is that what God gives us is a free gift. Praise God forevermore. Matthew 13, 17 says, For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see the things which ye see 
and saw them not, and to hear the things which ye hear, and heard them not. Hear then ye the parable of the sower. When any one hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, who did he just get through saying did not understand the word? It was his people according to the old covenant. But the man-child ministry that is coming is going to renew a call to the true gospel, which many of the people have never heard. But a lot of them will choose to stick with their religion because it's easy. Come pay your tithes and you'll just go right into the kingdom. That's hogwash. Matthew 13 and 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the evil one and, I, and snatches away that which hath been sown in his heart. I've seen that happen when telling people what the true good news is. And they'd rather go back to their old stupid religion because it doesn't demand anything from them. And this is he that was sold by the wayside. Not much of a chance to bear any fruit there, is there? Then verse 20, And he that was sown upon the rocky places, this is he that hears the word and straightway with joy receives it. And you run across these people too. They're happy because it really is good news. 21, yet hath he not root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, straightway he stumbles. That's it right there. That's the falling away. This is somebody who in the beginning received the good news with joy, but then they didn't allow it to take deep root in itself. When a plant's root goes down into the dirt, it actually displaces the dirt, don't it? It takes the nutrients out of that dirt, uses it to grow into a great, nice, excellent plant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man, that outward man, folks, is just the dirt, is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. And if you don't give good root to the word of God in your life and by faith, Expect it to displace what your old life was, then you're not going to bear a decent looking plant. And you're certainly not going to bear fruit. You're going to stumble because you don't have enough root to keep you in the hard time and in the persecutions and in the tribulations. You'll fall away as an unbeliever because that wonderful life you've been told you're going to have by accepting Jesus as your personal Savior don't come. If all you do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior, then you're not giving up your life in order to receive your life, John 12 and 25 said. The dirt has to give up something in order for the plant to live. Otherwise, that plant jumps up quick, and even though it might look good, it dies just as quickly. Matthew 13 and 22, And he that was sown among the thorns, this is he that hears the word. Well, so he hears the word. He believes the word, and he accepts the word. He's not like those others in the very beginning who didn't have the ears to hear. And it goes on and says, And the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. You know, compared to the rest of the world, most Americans are rich. And the riches of the world give people a great opportunity for sin. 
And if you have nothing and you have no hope of having anything, when Jesus is given to you, you're going to grab Jesus and the good news with joy. But it might just turn out to be a jailhouse religion, so to speak. Because as soon as convicts are free and have the opportunity to go back to their sins, a lot of them go back to doing what they did before. Their sins become more important to them than the wisdom they received when they were in jail. No opportunity to sin is not a proof that you're, you're an overcomer. The proof that you're an overcomer, folks, is that when you have the opportunity to sin, you choose God rather than sin. And by the way, if you read the letters to the churches, there are no promises to anyone who is not an overcomer. And so even if you received the good news with joy in the beginning, you could still become, as it says in Jude 1 and 12, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Matthew 13 and 23. And he that was sown upon the good ground, this is he that hears the word, and understands it, who verily bears fruit, and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And these are the people who are good ground for the seed. They give place for the seed to put forth deep roots, and the heat of the sun, or in other words, persecution, doesn't bother it. They love this new life, and they bear fruit. You, you might believe it or not, but all four of these groups are in the church. And of course, they all believe that they're saved. Now, some of them are believing that they're saved for the wrong reason. Some of them are believing that they're saved for the right reason. But none of them are doing what they were put here to do. They're not overcoming. Listen, when you baptize somebody, always tell them, now when you go down in this water, you're becoming united with Christ in the likeness of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the thing you're buried in is the water of the word. Romans 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse 4 said, We were buried therefore with him through baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. <clears throat> For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away. That so we should no longer be in bondage to sin, for he that hath died is justified from sin. You go down in that water, and you're united with him in the likeness of his death. And you also become benefited by his resurrection. And then Paul goes on to tell us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, Even so reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Folks, that's faith. You're not looking in the mirror and seeing yourself. You're looking in the mirror and seeing Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, but we all with unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. Folks, that's the gospel. So keep your eyes on the gospel, the good news, the promise that begets you unto God. 
Keep your eyes on that and get your eyes off the things of the world and the distractions of the world and the persecutions of the world and the lures, deceitfulness of riches. Are you spending time with Jesus or are you loving the world? And if you spend all your time with the world and you're distracted from the wisdom of God, you don't love him and you won't last either because you're not taking root. The Greek word for disciple is mathetes. And it means a learner, a pupil, a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle they require. You have to repent and believe and become a disciple of Jesus. And if you spend your time as a student of what he is and what he expects of us and what he has given us as a free gift from God, it's just awesome, folks, that lifestyle. Well, I'm out of town. God bless you. We'll see you again next week, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 361223. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you O sacred heart, in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine O Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus Jesus, oh Jesus, I trust in you, I trust in you.